This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? I'm Chris Gold. And not joining me in a real interesting moment in Quickly Kevin history. Slap in the face for a friendship. Josh Whittacombe is not here. He is on tour, but in his stead, please welcome... Ivo Graham. Hello. Uh, hello, Chris. Hello, Michael. Uh, and obviously, hello to Josh in absentia. Uh, we are, have you said where we're at? No, no. I was going to get to that. I was just introducing oh, you. Okay. Thank you for having me on the podcast. And also joining us, forget Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. Here's the real big boss man. Is Michael Marden. I should explain where we are. We're at Brisbane Road, where it is half time between Swindon Town and Leighton Orient. It's one all. We're in a flat. There's already been... Some controversy in the first half, it's fair to say, Ivo, where we cheered a Swindon tackle and the Leighton Orient steward turned around to us and said, don't give us any of that muck. Yes. Thoughts, Ivo? It was thrilling muck to, 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 to provide and then thrilling to be told off about it. But I don't think you've given full context to the unique legal position we're in, Chris. We are at an Airbnb you can hire at a very reasonable rate, which I was thrilled to discover is in the corner of Brisbane Road. We have a beautiful view of some enterprise League Two football, but we can make more noise than the admittedly quite quiet, familial home fans around us. So when Swindon equalised to make it one all just before half-time, and we lost our collective shit, even though 40% of the gang are non-Swindon fans, (laughs) yourself and Michael, the steward who told us off beforehand, he looked peeved. But what can he do? <laughs> Michael, who knows the law like the back of his cold, arid palm, can confirm that we are acting with complete impunity. We're in a private flat. We can't get told off by the stewards. It's brilliant. But told off we did, Michael. What are your thoughts here at Brisbane Road? Well, I mean, firstly, it's a delight to be here. We, are, we have discussed these very flats on the pod before when we did the Leighton Orient special with Bob Mills. So to actually be here in person is amazing. What I will say about that, Stuart, is uh, when uh, Leighton Orient went 1-0 up, he turned to us, <laughs> looked us cold in the eyes and did like a, a fist bump of like, yes. So at first I thought he was being a job's worth, but actually 
He's just a very, very hardcore Leighton Orient fan who's also a steward. So I took great pleasure when Swindon scored a fantastic equaliser <laughs> to goad him back. And I'm hoping that we... That sw- we. we. I'm now a Swindon fan. You say we, you just say we. You know what I'm saying? I'm hoping that we, the... What, what's, what, what's their nickname? The Robins. I'm hoping that we, the Robins, smash the, the O's. Is that what they're called? Uh, the, O's. the O's. Whatever nonsense they're called. That's the sort of fans you can hear in the background, by the way. They are on the opposite stand to us, and yet they are out sick. There they are. In a way, it's awful that I'm not with them. Um, well, it's Orient 1, Swindon 1 at half time. We've got a fantastic episode for you this week. Let me tell you about it. It's Fordy, Matthew Ford, to discuss Brian Clough through the prism of Brian Clough clips. Enjoy. We'll see you at the tail end of this episode to find out what happens here at Brisbane Road. Shouldn't you be at work? Oh, you are of disgrace! Hey, Buzz! For missing the target from there, you want bloody shooting! But how do you react uh, when someone, you know, from your playing staff comes in and says, Boss, I think you've got, I think you're doing this wrongly? Good, well, I ask him which way he thinks it should be done. We get down to it, and then we talk about it for 20 minutes. And then we decide I was right. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh, no! Here we go, and this is an episode... I have wanted to do since series one of Quickly Kevin. It's one of the first notes I ever made. Clough, Revy, but just Clough in general. And here to talk us through the maze of Brian Clough clips on YouTube is Brian Clough expert, Matt Ford. Hello. I'm, I am really nervous about getting emotional today talking about this. Oh, there's this fantastic set of clips you've given us. And one of them, of course, is... That the, the, the clip of Brian Clough, uh, we'll get to it, but uh, his last game for Forrest, and he turns to Barry Davis and says, Barry, thank you for the interview. And he's just welling up, like, oh, I need to go back to my, my wife and my grandchildren. And I, saw, I watched it last night, and I, I grabbed my wife and went, you've got to watch this. And she said, you've showed me this about 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, very hard to watch. And it's incredible how young he was at the time. And this is what's... I mean, what I've picked a number of clips that I think demonstrate different parts of his character. There were also a few that I couldn't find that, I, that are, are very memorable to me. It, it, sort of talk about those, if you like. Ones that you can't find on YouTube, but they were on old videos that are iconic amongst Forest fans. Let's start there. Let's start with the things that we, we couldn't find. What do you remember? Okay, so there's a really quite difficult one right towards the end in either 92, 93, and that's when his skin is really red. And it's just after Peter Taylor died. And he and Taylor had managed Forrest together initially. And then Taylor leaves, ends up managing Derby, and they fall out. And Clough never spoke to him ever again. Uh, he poached John Robertson from Forrest back to Derby behind Clough's back. And Clough never forgave him. And there's this kind of... I just remember it as a kid. It, it, it was only years later I realised he was talking about tender and everything. But I just remember him there sitting in the stands at an empty Forest ground in a grey suit with just a red raw face and talk, and Taylor had now died and he was just talking about his regret that they hadn't made it up and he goes if you're loyal you're loyal if you're not you're not oh. and it was almost like he was slightly arguing with himself you know because at other points in the interview he's going he used to make me laugh and he's very warm about him and he's you know remembering him so fondly 
But then that that kind of pit of the stomach moment happens where he remembers why they'd fallen out. And it's still in there. It still bites, even though in death. And he says in his autobiography, his biggest regret was not making it up with Peter Taylor. They really should have spoken again before he died. Oh, man. (laughs) I realise it's a very grim start, but these, (laughs) obviously with Clough, you know, you're never going to get that with Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. He is a different type of character. He is a, a more a earthy individual. He, he, he showed his complexity more. It was a less PR-driven age. So there are these amazing clips of him. So there's that one. There's another great one. So there's a, there's a cult video called Wembley Wembley, the 88-89 review. And it was made by the club. And it's not, it's not, like, it's not a proper season review. So you don't get highlights of all the games. It's more about the fact that that summer, Forest go to Wembley twice and we beat Luton Town in the League Cup final and we beat Everton in the Simod Cup final, which was the Fairs Cup. So it's the story of that, really. And of course, that's the Hillsborough season as well, where Forest lose in the semi-final to uh, Liverpool in the replayed FA Cup semi-final. So it's kind of the story of that. And it's a lot of it is interviews with, in, including an interview with a commercial manager, a guy called Dave Pullen. So... For Forest fans of a particular age, they remember, like, staff members' names because of this video. But there's a bit with Clough on it, and, and there's a, there are certain things he says, and I think there might be one of these um, moments in one of the clips that I've got. But he would have verbal tics. One of the things he would say is, and all that type of thing. And it's such a lovely... And, and, and the way he touches his face, so you could sort of see that his face would itch at times. Instead of scratching it with his nails, he would almost... If you just stick your index finger out and just sort of curl it a little bit, he would then sort of just brush... Brush it gently on his face. Yeah. I know exactly that. brush it man. gently on his face. A really lovely thing, almost like he's just stroking his face a little bit. But there's, there's some amazing bits in it where the guy says, oh, Nigel's had a good season. Uh, do you think he'll ever be as good as you? And he goes, give over, man. If he plays till he's bloody 90, he'll never score as many goals as I did. It's just, you know, his son is like Forrest's top striker at the time. So much of the videos about how good Nigel's been. And then his dad, who's the manager, give over, man. It's really, there's some classic cluff moments in that video, but it's very hard to find on YouTube. You, you've touched on a few pieces of his personality there. That I, I, you're right, he is such a complex figure. He has moments of astounding warmth and generosity and, and spirit of feeling. And, and at the same time, he can be incredibly publicly mean. And it's almost like I, you can't figure out who Brian Clough is because he, he, he operates at both ends of the spectrum. There's never been anyone really like him. But I think the central thing about his kind of public persona is like he, he just doesn't want to show weakness. But at the same time, he is one of the most emotional figures in football ever. You know, it's so complex. He's hugely complex. And, and he would show different parts of his uh, personality. I think towards the end, it's different because drink had taken a hold of him. And obviously, your judgment goes at that point. So I don't think we should judge him too harshly for aspects of his character towards the end. But in general, I think my take on him is, and having spoken to so many players that have played for him and having met him a couple of times as a kid, I think he was an exceptional judge of character. I think he really saw weakness and he really saw strength and he saw cockiness. And I think he knew exactly who needed picking up. And I think he knew exactly who needed chastising. And when you hear the stories of the generosity that he showed to people in Nottingham, there's a new book out at the moment it's by Craig Bromfield. It's called Be Good, Love Brian. I haven't read it yet, but it's this amazing story of this kid that Clough basically finds knocking about on a beach. And it's obvious that he's getting bullied at school. And Clough 
takes him under his wing and takes him down to Forest games and just shows him a lot of love that perhaps he wasn't necessarily getting at home or at school. So he knew who needed help and he knew who needed love and attention. And he also needed, knew who he needed to go to war with. So I think that partly explains why you often see these wildly different facets of his character. But that's also what made him so attractive was this wasn't a kind of um, PR persona that was never broken. You never knew what you were going to get. And, and a lot of the players who played for him say that was what made him so great. And of course, that's why the public loved him, was the unpredictability of him. You didn't know. You could ask him a question about anything. You weren't entirely sure what his opinion would be on it. You could take a broad <laughs> guess. But that's what made him such fascinating company and such uh, such an amazing manager. Was So many of the players say, you'd have a good game and he'd bollock you. <laughs> Brian Laws yeah. would say, he had terrough games. And then Clough would pat him on the back. He just he always kept you guessing. But what he always showed was a lot of love towards um, players who needed it, uh, towards their parents, towards their wives. He understood that these people would have been taken away at a young age. They weren't seeing their families, and that was important to him. So I think those parts of him are, are really, really positive. Michael, tell me how you feel about Brian Clough. I mean, I absolutely love him. My dream project is a sort of definitive Brian Clough documentary, and there are some great oh. ones out there. There are some fantastic ones out there, but a sort of deep dive into every era of Clough from his time as a player, where his goal-scoring record is incredible. He was the first player in the Football League, well, still the quickest player in the Football League, to score 250 goals. That record, I think, is still unbeaten. Um, And obviously that was cut short with, you know, a really horrible, horrific injury. He probably should have got a lot more caps than he did for England, even though he was playing a division down. You know, he was, for all intents and purposes, a fantastic player. And then to translate that crushing kind of blow of, of having your career cut short to then go, do you know what, I'm going to become a manager and become as definitive and successful and iconic a manager as he is. But then to go to all of those different clubs, Forest, Derby, and basically transform an entire town, city, club, where the legacy now is still. And you see in some of the clips, when um, forests go down and this little final season, there's Vox Pops at the start. It blew my mind that a team getting relegated, every single fan to a man, woman and child were like, I can't believe they're getting rid of him. I can't believe they're like, yeah. you're yeah. getting relegated. I think if Alex yeah. Ferguson got Manchester United relegated in his last season... <laughs> There would be a lynch mob out going, well, he stayed on too long. I can't, you know, he should have left in 99. He should have left then. These people are heartbroken because that's what Clough as a character and as a man means to every club and every city where he had success. And before we join Barry Davis for the action, some points of view from the Forest fans on what, as you can imagine, was a day to fire up the emotions. I think he's disgraceful. For the first bad season they've had in about five or six years, and suddenly everyone's calling for Clough to be resigning. I think they should just stick with him. Give the man a chance and hope they do well next year. I think it's a shame. I think one bad season doesn't make him a bad manager. And I think he should have stayed. I'm very surprised to find he's gone. We still love him. And it's not the end. It's not the end for Cluffy. He's still got a long way to go yet. He can still be a very valuable member of the Nottingham Forest clan, as you can call it. So hopefully he will stay with us for quite a long time. And good luck to him. We all love him, really. I think he's the best thing that ever happened to Nottingham. And to go like he has done, I think he's sad. I don't know what to do without him, really. Um, it's a disaster. I hope we find a replacement who's, you know, who's equally as good. I've just taken him some flowers, but they wouldn't let me give them to him because he's in the bath. I said, well, I can't scrub his back. <laughs> but I am... Um, it's, 
really hurts. I mean, we've all been expecting it. And now the time has come and I think everybody's really upset about it. But you guys touched on it earlier. There's the sort of duality that exists within him and makes him so complex and so compelling and so fascinating. We've never seen and never will see anything like it because A, everyone is so sort of PR trained and so media trained now that they don't show that side of it. But also the people that do just aren't as good as Clough <laughs> was. Like the only modern example is someone like Mourinho. But even that feels managed. It feels yeah. like he has created that as a sort of persona and a way to man-manage, which was incredibly effective for a very long time. But with Clough... This is this is the man. This is who he is. And the bit you said about um, him sort of sat in the stadium reflecting on Peter Taylor and his relationship with Peter Taylor, that for me is the most fascinating and then ultimately tragic part of his story is that they were two sides of the same person almost in that without one another, they were never as good like separately. And obviously Clough went on to have success without Taylor. But you just know the breakdown of that relationship and his inability to address and forgive his best friend, someone who was like his brother, would have haunted him. And I think that is the real sort of tragedy beyond the alcoholism, beyond his sort of demise as a manager and a force in football, but his inability to fix that within himself in order to then fix that relationship with Taylor always makes me really sad when I when I think about it because that's the thing that he would have regretted most of all. I think he would have given back his European Cups to be able to sort of shake his mate's hand one last time. Oh. God, Michael. 40, so Peter Taylor's assistant left in 82. And would you say that was the moment, that was the end of like the pomp of Forrest? Was that the moment, do you think? Well, obviously, Forrest go through this mad period where Clough comes in and then there's four years where Forrest get promoted from Division 2. They then win Division 1, win the European Cup and win the European Cup again, <laughs> all back to back. So there's not a gap in between that. That's just insane. So when you talk to a lot of the players who were around at the time, it was clear that, first, he got a lot out of kind of experienced legs and that that was slightly falling apart a bit and that um, a couple of the signings, you know, they signed just in fashion and that doesn't work out. There's a dismantling of that side that even though it was experienced, I think perhaps some of the players felt was a bit premature. Um, and, and that obviously Taylor leaves around the same time. So Forrest have a bit of a dip. I mean, obviously relatively to where Forrest are now and where they've been, it's a relative dip. They were never seriously in danger of relegation or anything like that. But going from being champions of Europe to then not really being competitive in any cup competitions is, you know, they had a bit of a run in the way for cup, but it was nothing major. Clough then rebuilds towards the, the mid to late 80s. And Forrest then have that incredible period where they go to Wembley six times in four summers and win four trophies. That's just insane. You know, that, that is yeah. a remarkable success. And we're competitive in the league. In 1989, we finished third in the league, win the League Cup and the Simog Cup and get to the FA Cup semi-final. And, I mean, even in the... You know what's mad is the summer... Clough's last season, which obviously is is so much of focus on, that first season of the Premier League where it all goes to hell. That season starts in the summer of 1992 with Forrest going to Wembley twice, losing to Manchester United in the final of the League Cup. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin. Will he score? I'm Chris Gold. And not joining me in a real interesting moment in Quickly Kevin history. A slap in the face for a friendship. Josh Whittacombe is not here. He is on tour, but in his stead. Please welcome Ivo Graham. Hello. Uh, Hello, Chris. Hello, Michael. Uh, And obviously, hello to Josh in absentia. 
Uh, we are. Have you said where we're at? No, no. I was going to get to that. I was just introducing okay, you first. Thank you for having me on the. And podcast. also joining us, forget Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. Here's the real big boss man. Is Michael Marden. I should explain where we are. We're at Brisbane Road, where it is half time between Swindon Town and Leighton Orient. It's one all. We're in a flat. There's already been. Some controversy in the first half, it's fair to say, Ivo, where we cheered a Swindon tackle and the Leighton Orient steward turned around to us and said, don't give us any of that muck. Yes. Thoughts, Ivo? It was thrilling muck to, 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 to provide and then thrilling to be told off about it. But I don't think you've given full context to the unique legal position we're in, Chris. We are at an Airbnb you can hire at a very reasonable rate, uh, which I was thrilled to discover is in the corner of Brisbane Road. We have a beautiful view of some enterprise League Two football, but we can make more noise than the admittedly quite quiet familial home fans around us. So when Swindon equalised to make it one all just before half-time, and we lost our collective shit, even though 40% of the gang are non-Swindon fans, (laughs) yourself and Michael, the steward who told us off beforehand... He looked peeved, but what can he do? <laughs> Michael, who knows the law like the back of his cold, arid palm, can confirm that we are acting with complete impunity. We're in a private flat. We can't get told off by the stewards. It's brilliant. But told off we did, Michael. What are your thoughts here at Brisbane Road? Well, I mean, firstly, it's a delight to be here. We, are, we have discussed these very flats on the pod before yeah. when we did the Leighton Orient special with Bob Mills. So to actually be here in person is amazing. What I will say about that, Stuart, is uh, when uh, Leighton Orient went 1-0 up, he turned to us, <laughs> looked us cold in the eyes and did like a, a fist bump of like, yes. So at first I thought he was being a jobs worth, but actually... He's just a very, very hardcore Leighton Orient fan who's also a steward. So I took great pleasure when Swindon scored a fantastic equaliser <laughs> to goad him back. And I'm hoping that we... That Swit we. And now a Swindon fan. You say we, you just say we. You know what I'm saying? I'm hoping that we, the... What, what's, what, what's their nickname? The Robins. I'm hoping that we, the Robins, smash the, the O's. Is that what they're called? Uh, the, O's. the O's. Whatever nonsense they're called. That's the Swindon yeah. fans you can hear in the background, by the way. They are on the opposite stand to us and yet they are out sick there they are in a way it's awful that I'm not with them um, well it's Orient 1 Swindon 1 at half time we've got a fantastic episode for you this week let me tell you about it it's 4D Matthew Ford to discuss Brian Clough through the prism of Brian Clough clips enjoy we'll see you at the tail end of this episode to find out what happens here at Brisbane Road shouldn't you be at work For missing the target from there, you want bloody shooting! But how do you react uh, when someone, you know, from your playing staff comes in and says, boss, I think you've got, I think you're doing this wrongly? Oh, well, I ask him which way he thinks it should be done. We get down to it, and then we talk about it for 20 minutes, and then we decide I was right. You know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he No! Here we go, and this is an episode 
I have wanted to do since series one of Quickly Kevin. It was one of the first notes I ever made. Clough, Revy, but just Clough in general. And here to talk us through the maze of Brian Clough clips on YouTube is Brian Clough expert, Matt Ford. Hello. I'm, I am really nervous about getting emotional today talking about this. Oh, there's this fantastic set of clips you've given us. And one of them, of course, is the, 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 the clip of Brian Clough. Uh, we'll get to it, but uh, his last game for Forrest. And he turns to Barry Davis and says, Barry, thank you for the interview. And he's just welling up. Like, oh, I need to go back to my, my wife and my grandchildren. And I, saw, I watched it last night and I, I grabbed my wife and went, you've got to watch this. And she said, you've showed me this about 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, very hard to watch. And it's incredible how young he was at the time. And this is what's... I mean, what I've picked a number of clips that I think demonstrate different parts of his character. There were also a few that I couldn't find that, I, that are, are very memorable to me. We'll sort of talk about those, if you like. Ones that you can't find on YouTube, but they're on old videos that are iconic amongst Forest fans. Let's start there. Let's start with the things that we, we couldn't find. What do you remember? Okay, so there's a really quite difficult one right towards the end in either 92, 93, and that's when his skin is really red. And it's just after Peter Taylor died. And he and Taylor had managed Forest together initially. And then Taylor leaves, ends up managing Derby, and they fall out. And Clough never spoke to him ever again. Uh, he poached John Robertson from Forest back to Derby behind Clough's back. And it, Clough never forgave him. And there's this kind of... I just remember it as a kid. It, it, it was only years later I realised he was talking about Taylor and everything. But I just remember him there sitting in the stands at an empty Forest ground in a grey suit with just a red raw face and talk and Taylor had now died and he was just talking about his regret that they hadn't made it up and he goes if you're loyal you're loyal if you're not you're not oh and it was almost like he was slightly arguing with himself you know because at other points in the interview he's going he used to make me laugh and he's very warm about him and he's you know remembering him so fondly but then that that kind of pit of the stomach moment happens where he remembers why they'd fallen out and it's still in there it still Ugh. bites even though it, in death and he says in his autobiography the biggest regret was not making it up with peter taylor they really should have spoken again before he died and- oh man <laughs> so i realized it's a very grim start but these <laughs> obviously with clough you know you're never going to get that with jürgen klopp yeah. he is a different type of character he is a, a more a earthy individual he, he, he showed his complexity more it was a less PR-driven age. So there are these amazing clips of him. So there's that one. There's another great one. So there's a, there's a cult video called Wembley Wembley, the 88-89 review. And it was made by the club. And it's not, it's, not like, it's not a proper season review. So you don't get highlights of all the games. It's more about the fact that that summer, Forrest go to Wembley twice and we beat Luton Town in the League Cup final and we beat Everton in the Simod Cup final, which was the Fairs Cup. So it's the story of that, really. And, of course, that's the Hillsborough season as well, where Forrest lose in the semi-final to uh, Liverpool in the replayed FA Cup semi-final. So it's kind of the story of that. And it's a lot of it is interviews with... In, including an interview with a commercial manager, a guy called Dave Pullen. So for Forest fans of a particular age, they remember, like, staff members' names because of this video. But there's a bit with Clough on it. And, and there's a, there are certain things he says, and I think there might be one of these... Um, moments in one of the clips that I've got. But he would have verbal ticks. One of the things he would say is, and all that type of thing. And it's such a lovely... And the way he touches his face, so you could sort of see that his face would itch at times. Instead of scratching it with his nails, he would almost... 
if you just stick your index finger out and just sort of curl it a little bit, you would then sort of just brush brush it gently on his face. Yeah. I know exactly just brush that. Brush it man. gently on his face. A really lovely thing, almost like he's just stroking his face a little bit. But there's there's some amazing bits in it where the guy says, "Oh, Nigel's had a good season. Uh, do you think he'll ever be as good as you?" And he goes. Give over, man. If he plays till he's bloody 90, he'll never score as many goals as I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, his son is like Forrest's top striker at the time. So much of the videos that how good Nigel's been. And then his dad, who's the manager, give over, man. It's really, this classic Clough moments in that video, but it's very hard to find on YouTube. You, you've touched on a few pieces of his personality there. That I, I, you're right, he is such a complex figure. He has moments of astounding warmth and generosity and, and spirit of feeling. And, and at the same time, he can be incredibly publicly mean. And it's almost like I, you can't figure out who Brian Clough is because he, he, he operates at both ends of the spectrum. There's never been anyone really like him. But I think the central thing about his kind of public persona is like he, he just doesn't want to show weakness. But at the same time, he is one of the most emotional figures in football ever. You know, it's so complex. He's hugely complex. And, and he would show different parts of his uh, personality. I think towards the end, it's different because drink had taken a hold of him. And obviously, your judgment goes at that point. So I don't think we should judge him too harshly for aspects of his character towards the end. But in general, I think my take on him is, and having spoken to so many players that have played for him and having met him a couple of times as a kid, I think he was an exceptional judge of character. I think he really saw weakness and he really saw strength and he saw cockiness. And I think he knew exactly who needed picking up. And I think he knew exactly who needed chastising. And when you hear the stories of the generosity that he showed to people in Nottingham, there's a new book out at the moment by Craig Bromfield. It's called Be Good, Love Brian. I haven't read it yet, but it's this amazing story of this kid that Clough basically finds knocking about on a beach. And it's obvious that he's getting bullied at school and Clough takes him under his wing and takes him down to forest games and just shows him a lot of love that perhaps he wasn't necessarily getting at home or at school. So he knew who needed help. And he knew who needed love and attention. And he also needed, knew who he needed to go to war with. So I think that partly explains why you often see these wildly different facets of his character. But that's also what made him so attractive was this wasn't a kind of um, PR persona that was never broken. You never knew what you were going to get. And, and a lot of the players who played for him say that was what made him so great. And of course, that's why the public loved him was the unpredictability of him. You didn't know. You could ask him a question about anything. You weren't entirely sure what his opinion would be on it. You could take a broad guess. <laughs> but that's what made him such fascinating company and such uh, such an amazing manager was so many of the players say you'd have a good game and he'd bollock you. He, he, Brian Laws <laughs> yeah. would say he had terrible games. And then Clough would pat him on the back. He, just, he always kept you guessing. But what he always showed was a lot of love towards um, players who needed it. Uh, towards their parents, towards their wives. He understood that these people would have been taken away at a young age. They weren't seeing their families, and that was important to him. So I think those parts of him are, are really, really positive. Michael, tell me how you feel about Brian Clough. I mean, I absolutely love him. My dream project is a sort of definitive Brian Clough documentary, and there are some great oh, ones out there. There are some yes. fantastic ones out there. But a sort of deep dive into every era of Clough from oh. his time as a player where his goal scoring record is incredible he was the first player in the football league well still the quickest player in the football league to score 250 goals that record I think is still unbeaten yes. um, and obviously that was cut short with like you know a really 
horrible, horrific injury. He probably should have got a lot more caps than he did for England, even though he was playing a division down. You know, he was, for all intents and purposes, a fantastic player. And then to translate that crushing kind of blow of, of having your career cut short to then go, do you know what, I'm going to become a manager and become as definitive and successful and iconic a manager as he is. But then to go to all of those different clubs, Forest, Derby, and basically transform an entire town, city, club, where the legacy now is still. And you see in some of the clips, when um, Forests go down and this little final season, there's Vox Pops at the start. It blew my mind that a team getting relegated, every single fan to a man, woman and child were like, I can't believe they're getting rid of him. I can't believe they're like, yeah. you're yeah. getting relegated. I think if Alex yeah. Ferguson got Manchester United relegated in his last season... <laughs> There would be a lynch mob out going, well, he stayed on too long. I can't, you know, he should have left in 99. He should have left then. These people are heartbroken because that's what Clough as a character and as a man means to every club and every city where he had success. And before we join Barry Davis for the action, some points of view from the Forest fans on what, as you can imagine, was a day to fire up the emotions. I think it's disgraceful for the first bad season they've had in about five or six years. And suddenly everyone's calling for Clough to be resigning. I think they should just stick with him. Give the man a chance and hope they do well next year. I think it's a shame. I think one bad season doesn't make him a bad manager. And I think he should have stayed. I'm very surprised to find he's gone. We still love him. And it's not the end. It's not the end for Cluffy. He's still got a long way to go yet. He can still be a very valuable member of the Nottingham Forest clan, as you can call it. So hopefully he will stay with us for quite a long time. And good luck to him. We all love him, really. I think he's the best thing that ever happened to Nottingham. And to go like he has done, I think is sad. I don't know what to do without him, really. Um, it's a disaster. I hope we find a replacement who's, you know, who's equally as good. I've just taken him some flowers, but they wouldn't let me give them to him because he's in the bath. I said, well, I can't scrub his back. <laughs> but I am... Um, it's really hurts. I mean, we've all been expecting it. Now the time has come and I think everybody's really upset about it. But you guys touched on it earlier. There's the sort of duality that exists within him and makes him so complex and so compelling and so fascinating. We've never seen and never will see anything like it because A, everyone is so sort of PR trained and so media trained now that they don't show that side of it. But also the people that do just aren't as good as Clough. Yeah was like the only modern example is someone like Mourinho but even that feels managed it feels yeah. like he has created that as a sort of persona and a way to man manage which was incredibly effective for a very long time but with Clough this is this is the man this is who he is and the bit you said about um him sort of sat in the stadium reflecting on Peter Taylor and his relationship with Peter Taylor that for me is the most fascinating and then ultimately tragic part of his story is that they were two sides of the same person almost in that without one another, they were never as good like separately. And obviously Clough went on to have success without Taylor, but you just know the breakdown of that relationship and his inability to address and forgive his best friend, someone who was like his brother would have haunted him. And I think that is the real sort of tragedy beyond the alcoholism, beyond his sort of demise as a manager and a force in football, but his inability to fix that within himself in order to then fix that relationship with Taylor always makes me really sad when I when I think about it because that's the thing that he would have regretted most of all. I think he would have given back his European Cups to be able to sort of shake his mate's hand one last time. Oh, 
God, Michael. 40, so Peter Taylor's assistant left in 82. And would you say that was the moment, that was the end of like the pomp of Forrest? Was that the moment, do you think? Well, obviously, Forrest goes through this mad period where Clough comes in and then there's four years where Forrest get promoted from Division 2. They then win Division 1, win the European Cup and win the European Cup again, all back to back. So there's not a gap in between that. That's just insane. So when you talk to a lot of the players who were around at the time, it was clear that, first, he got a lot out of kind of experienced legs and that that was slightly falling apart a bit. And that um, a couple of the signings, you know, they signed just in fashion and that doesn't work out. There's a dismantling of that side that even though it was experience, I think perhaps some of the players felt was a bit premature. Um, And and that obviously Taylor leaves around the same time. So Forrest have a bit of a dip. I mean, obviously, relatively to where Forrest are now and where they've been, it's a relative dip. They, They were never seriously in danger of relegation or anything like that. But going from being champions of Europe to then not really being competitive in any cup competitions is, you know, they had a bit of a run in the way for cup, but it was nothing major. Clough then rebuilds towards the, the mid to late eighties. And Forrest then have that incredible period where they go to Wembley six times in four summers and win four trophies. That's just insane. You know, that, that is yeah. a remarkable success. And we're competitive in the league. In 1989, we finished third in the league, win the league cup and the Simog cup and get to the FA cup semi-final. And I mean, even in this, you know, what's mad is the summer Clough's last season, which obviously is is so much of focus on that first season of the Premier League where it all goes to hell. That season starts in the summer of 1992 with Forrest going to Wembley twice, losing to Manchester United in the final of the League Cup and beating Southampton in the final of the ZDS Cup. So even at that point, even when he's on the precipice of this whole thing falling apart, He's at Wembley twice that summer <laughs> and what, uh, winning a trophy. Oh, so God. even when the kind of wheels are falling off or about to fall off, what he was able to get out of players was incredible. Let's rewind the clock back. to I actually think in the, in the history of Clough, what we're about to talk about first is his weakest point. In 1974, he sacked as manager of Leeds after 44 days. And the setup to this is absolutely incredible. He manages Leeds. He took this Leeds job, having taken over from Don Revy, his probably his greatest rival at Derby. Leeds, who had won the league and were chasing down the European Cup. Don Revy leaves for the England job. And Brian Clough, who has spent years deriding this Leeds team as dirty Leeds, then takes over Don Revy's Leeds side. Basically, the setup is the players just, they're still obsessed with Revy, I would, I would say. They turn against Clough. He gets sacked after 44 days. And somehow. I don't know what the network is, but the the regional ITV station, I think it is, they get Brian Clough and Don Revy to sit in a studio together and discuss what has happened at Leeds over the last 44 days and why Brian Clough has lost this job so soon uh, into his tenure. The setup is incredible, Fordy. What what else do you have on the setup? It's, so this, I mean, it's, there's really no other way. I can't ever call to mind this ever ha- having happened since. Where a, a humiliated, fired manager has to sit next to his nemesis, who was really it'd be like David Moyes having to sit next to Alex Ferguson, but it would be even worse. But than they're that. hostile. They're exactly, hostile. <laughs> exactly. It's just absolutely incredible. And what's first? So it's on Yorkshire Television. A lot of people mistakenly think it's Michael Parkinson who conducts the interview. It's not. It's a guy called Austin Mitchell who goes on to be the Labour MP for Grimsby. Um, <laughs> And he's a kind of budding, you know, it sounds a bit like Michael Parkinson. He's got that sort of gruff Yorkshire thing going on. Um, but it's what's amazing about it is just 
the, when you think about what entertainment is and, and what news is, you cannot beat a high quality interview with someone who is at, at that point extremely newsworthy. And it, it is him, not just Clough, because that would have been amazing to get a really good interview with Clough on the day that it's all over. Great. The fact that he's sat next to his nemesis and they hate each other. And, and <laughs> I mean, as we were about to hear, this, what plays out is not a defeated man humiliated in front of a, a way more successful senior partner. If you were to watch this, knowing nothing about the context, you would presume that Revy had been fired and that Clough yes. was the most successful manager that had ever lived and had just <laughs> stuffed the Leeds trophy room full of silverware. His psychology, his, and, yeah. he, and he's phenomenal at, and it doesn't mean that that is always in an aggressive way. He's really good at just pricking answers, finding holes in logic. And in the, you just then left with, hang on a second, this guy's still really confident, full of beans, highly charismatic. Revy's not very charismatic. He's a bit miserable. So it's this bizarre televisual spectacle where Clough loses the job but wins the interview. My, my favourite moment in the whole, whole bit was like, uh, Brian Clough turns to Don Revy about three quarters of the way through and says, I bet actually... Don, it, there was a fraction between whether yeah. you took the England job or you went on stick one lead to win, try and win the European Cup once more. And uh, Don Revy goes, oh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and Clough, quick as a flash, just goes, good lad. Well, that's it. It just, he, he's owning him. And, and Revy doesn't even know. It's so good. Now, when I said, I think I said it to Trevor Cherry, actually, or most of the players, he said to me, what can you do that the boss hadn't done? You, the boss, referring to you. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. Now, there is no other reply to that question. No. But because you had won the league. Yeah, but there's no way you could win it better. Why it's not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, I've got. We don't we don't lost four matches, isn't it? But that, well, I no, can only no, lose three. No, 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 no. I couldn't give any other answer. And no. I wanted to win the European Cup. I believe that well, it was just a fraction, Don. A fraction. I don't know this because I've not spoken to you. But I believe it was a fraction whether you took the England job or had another shot at the European Cup. That is totally true because I was so involved with the players and, and everybody else. Good luck. I believe it was a fraction, Don. And it's, it's slightly... It's not my best impression, but you do get a sense of slightly patronising <laughs> yes, him. Right. I believe it was a fraction, Don. And he's wagging his finger. And it's just where he goes... Good lad. And it's just, you know, <laughs> high status. Don Revy is like the league winning manager. You've been fired after 44 days, which would be quick even by today's standards, let alone the yeah. 70s. It's such a brilliantly cutting thing <laughs> because every time I've ever seen him use that, he uses it against people that are his senior in age yes. and, and the sort of loaded and deliberate disrespect of that <laughs> never fails to make me laugh. There's a brilliant clip that you sent through 4D, which is, um, I think it's the Motson versus Clough one where Motson sort of is giving this oh. really prickly interview. Right at the end, Motson says something that's sort of slightly disagreeable. But also, Clough knows it's the end of it. And if they keep sparring, he's not going to get any better or worse for either of them. And Clough just goes, good lad. And it's just like, <laughs> as, as a sign-off, Motson, you know, he wants to go, what? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> but Cluffy's got the final word. And Motson will lose if, if he engages with that good lad. Because yeah. if Revy gets annoyed about that in that context, 
then he loses his call and he looks and you know Clough's just going to sit there with a shitty grin on his face <laughs> so I, yeah. I love it as a psychological warfare it's such a brilliant piece it's like a little semantic grenade that he just chucks in and it sounds positive you're saying good lad you're saying well done so it's kind of you're not saying <laughs> no he might as well ruffle his head and go good good lad <laughs> or, or throw a stick and ask him to fetch <laughs> You're so right about the body, the, the body language throughout, because the interview starts like Clough smiles throughout. Clough is like his legs crossed. Yeah. He's smiling the whole interview. And Revy is tense. He's like bundled up. He's just coiled up. He's got his hand like over his mouth right at the start. And, and it's, Revy just kind of stalks the first 10 minutes of the interview. He doesn't say much, but when he does come in, I think it's like three or four minutes. He's just stalking the first three or four minutes. And when he comes in, he says, he's, he, he calls Brian, he calls him Clough. And he goes, I call him Clough because he calls me Revy. Yeah. And then about a minute later, he says, oh, I, I'll call him. I'll call him Brian because I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do that to him. I, would, I wouldn't go. And and again, I, Clough just goes, Well done, well done. But you know what's great about Clough is he knows he's charismatic. He knows yeah. he's good looking. He knows that when he smiles and he's full of beans, it's TV gold. And he knows that Revy's miserable and negative and all those things. So he knows the contrast looks great. And it is like watching a great. Uh, rock star show off or, or when footballers do tricks and things Clough knows he's so comfortable in that environment yeah. he's like watching a great tennis player on centre court he loves showing off his ability in an interview just like <laughs> he loved showing off as a footballer so for him that's almost like a pitch that he's dominating again for all intensive purposes Clough at that point in his career has had an absolute disaster it was bad man management and he totally misjudged that club and the room. So he can walk away from that with his legacy tarnished or he can go on TV, face the man that is arguably superior than him as a Leeds manager and now England manager and basically rewrite history because (laughs) that's what we're talking about now is how during a television appearance, Brian Clough wiped the floor with a brilliant football manager, but a bit of a dinosaur in terms of understanding of the media and profile and how all these things work. And that is part of Clough's genius is like you said earlier, Ford, he's like, he knows how to play the game. He knows how to profile people. He knows their strengths, their weaknesses. And he knew the way for me to put myself in the shop window again. And people go, Oh, he isn't a bad manager. He wasn't a failure was something like this. Yeah. And I also think he um, is a very, obviously a very proud man. And you can almost imagine him saying, I'm not going to hide away. Yeah. I'm going to go out there and tell people what happened. And although yeah. it didn't go well done, <laughs> I need to explain why it didn't. You can sort of imagine him saying that. Yeah. You know, Brian Clough doesn't hide away. You know, whether yeah. it's good or bad, I will always face the music. And you just think, you, you know, that was just part of who There was no option. There's no, he wouldn't have even considered not giving an interview. Yeah. I wrote down what I think is the line that most winds Revy up in the whole interview, which is that when, when Brian Clough says, there was no warmth in the club. Revy is apoplectic about that. He's actually <laughs> loses his mind. And then actually later on, he describes him as, he says, you're a cold man. And <laughs> but, the, but Revy's fuming that the idea that there wouldn't be any warmth. And he try, like he, he's stumbling over himself to kind of cut in and try and describe how he is a warm man. But like, I just thought in that moment, Clough really nails Revy. He absolutely nails him. Yeah, and I think Revy probably saw himself as a father to some of those players. Yeah. And that's a major insult because Clough knows really, he, I mean, there's a, he knows he can't say that they didn't win anything because they did. What other bruise yeah. do you punch? 
And that's yeah. the one is to say, actually, they, they didn't really like you, Don, you know, or, or there was a weird atmosphere that you created, you know, and obviously watching it as a viewer, you go, well, Clough feels warm and this guy feels cold. There's also the bit, it's the funniest bit in it. And I was so annoyed that they didn't include it in the Damage United, the film, because it's such a good film. And that bit where Michael Sheen recreates it is magic. But there's a great bit in it where he goes, we topped the league. Um, he goes, yeah, you top the disciplinary charts as well, Don. And, um, <laughs> and then he goes, well, why do you want to win Leeds then? You know, why do you want to manage Leeds if we're so dirty? He goes, I want to do something you hadn't done. I wanted to win the league with Leeds, but I wanted to do it better. And it, I can't remember the exact number. He goes, well, how could you win the league better than us? We only lost five games. And he goes, well, I'd only lose four. And you think, <laughs> well, hang on, you didn't because you've just been fired. So, like, simultaneously, the moment Revy says, how could you do better than us? We only lost five games. You go... Well, there's an obvious answer there. The, the fact that Clough says the obvious answer, but it, the irony of a guy saying, I'd only lose four, but it's clearly lost way more than four. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so funny that he says it, having just been fired for losing way more than four games. My other favourite bit is always towards the end of the interview. They're just, it, it, it kind of devolves at the end of the interview. They're, just, they're getting really picky about like, it, like little moments that have like, they're, they're contrasting styles. But Clough says, Clough says something like, when the players would come in the dressing room, I'd take the shirts off the back. And Revy goes, I-, I would do that too. I would do that too. And then and then he goes, Revy goes, and I'd massage him, and I'd massage him. Yeah, and just like, you're like, hang on, what what the fuck is going on here? Like, Klopp's saying, this is what a manager is. And Revy's having to go, Revy, who's won the league, doesn't have to justify anything. Yeah. He's trying to justify himself to Clough. Yeah. And again, which is like, great chess playing from Clough. He's just like, he's dragging it out of Revy. So he's got, he's got Revy answering to him. Absolutely sensational. Dawn, the first day I walked in, I came back from holiday and I did two hours training with them. Why didn't you get everybody together? Because I didn't think it was necessary. Why? Because I thought that I would do it more subtly and different instead of having everybody bang, bang, bang. So we're all on edge. I was on edge. So you could have put them at ease. No, hang on. How? By going in and talking to them. Oh, talk to them? I took the shirts off the backs after they finished training. I used to do that. I massaged them on the face. Of course. Well, that was my approach, of course. So after this interview, he, he loses the Leeds job. Where does he go? Nottingham. The next thing on our kind of timeline is an interview that Brian Clough does with John Motson in 1978. And I actually think, 40, I think peak Clough is 78, 79 around here. He is at, oh, yeah. he's, he's firing on all cylinders. And this interview with Motson and Clough is so interesting because it's so immediately passive aggressive. Right out the, right out the yeah. gate. Maybe, Michael, let's, can we just play the, the opening gambit of this interview? I'd love to ask you, first of all, how you feel the season's going, both from the point of view of Nottingham Forest, Brian Clough and football generally. Um, there's lots of questions all in one there, John. Sound of your voice, you're just about getting them out as well. Whatever's gone on there, for whatever reason, Clough has taken against Motson, and I'm not entirely certain if there's any prior context to that or whether that was just in the room on the day. But it's an amazing double attack. One, you're <laughs> not very good at asking questions. You put a load together. Which one do you want me to answer? And secondly, by the sound of your voice. Now, if there's anything that's going to make you doubt yourself as an interviewer, even just the sound of your voice, like, well, do I sound nervous? Do I sound rude? <laughs> so it's a double punch. It's a one-two right at the start. And really, the tone of the interview does not improve from there. Yeah, and also because Motson isn't really a journalist or an interviewer, he's a commentator. So that it's almost like Clough has got into that. He's profiled him and gone, if I attack his voice, 
then from the get-go, that is his Achilles heel. If you're John Motson, the one thing that you pride yourself on is your ability to be articulate as a communicator. And Clough, just off the bat, has just gone bang, right in the solar plexus. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Clough looks great in this clip. His hair's wet. He looks like he's just come out of the shower or something. He's wearing shorts and like a jumper with a lovely white collar underneath. He's fit as a fiddle. He's a bit older now, but he's still physically fit. You just think, what? You know, he's a specimen. He reminded me of Don Johnson in Miami Vice, sort yeah. of like slicked back hair. He's just like, he's the guy that you would catch your, your wife looking at on holiday. <laughs> yeah. And he's still so young. He's at a 44 here, I think it is. You forget how young Brian Clough is at, at his absolute peak here. And we'll get on to it, but I would say the most shocking thing about all the clips of Clough we've watched is that he retired at 58. Yeah. Ferguson won the European Cup in 99. He was 58 in 99. You think about Roy Hodgson managing uh, in the Premier League at 73. Ferguson managed until he was 71. Clough is 58 when he retires in 93. He is so incredibly young throughout all of this. It's astonishing, really, isn't it? It, It's incredible. Yeah, the most shocking thing is how old he looks at 58. Yeah. So basically, until then, he looks quite good. And then in the last few years, he physically deteriorates at a shocking rate where when you look at him, I mean, he died at 69. Yeah. Really young. Part of what sort of really hit me re-watching those clips and those interviews is that I think there is a sense that they're sort of helping him by getting rid of him because he needs to go away and sort of try and address these demons that have got hold of him outside of the game. And, you know, there's an argument that Clough as a manager could have bounced back from that relegation and got Nottingham Forest back up. But Clough in the grips, which he clearly was at that stage of a massive alcohol problem, is not going to get that club promoted. And actually, it's probably going to end up far worse than he did in the following years. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and it, I, I can't imagine what it was like at the time. I mean, at the time, I remember there was a board member called Chris Wooten who was leaking audio of Clough um, to the tabloids of him drunk and, you know, incapable, basically. And, and obviously that's a form of treachery. But for other board members and for other people at the club who obviously cared about Clough and cared about Forrest, it, I mean, I cannot imagine what it was like to go through a period where you need to keep the club in the top flight. You know, the future of the club, the, the life of the club is at stake, but so is the, the the health of this incredible manager that's giving you, you know, basically made the club, really. Forrest yeah. is Brian Clough. I mean, Forrest had a summer history before him, but really, everyone knows Forrest for Clough. So in a way, it sort of created people now, you know, the, the whole identity of Forrest is, is Brian Clough. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be in a position of authority at the club at that time and watch the boss deteriorate. I, 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 yeah. I don't know how you decide whether to keep him or not. And ultimately, as you say, for his own health, he had to go and for the health of the club. But that must have been incredibly hard. Yeah. Mm. And I guess there's a sense of like, it would feel like treason to have yeah. got rid of Clough up until the point when you just couldn't not. And maybe it was a deterioration of his health plus the relegation. But also, I mean, is there any sense as a Forest fan, Fordy, that that sort of sliding doors moment where you go, well, had he gone earlier and had, say, Forest been able to stay up, does the trajectory of the club completely change for the next 20, 30 years? And in hindsight, would that have been the right decision? Or actually, is the only way it could have played out is, is how it did? In a way, I don't think you can get rid of a manager like Clough. Because, uh, as I said, <laughs> this summer, Forrest had been to Wembley twice. So, And with the players that we had, players like Keane, I mean, Pierce barely featured because he was injured. But good footballers, 
Nigel Clough and Ian Wine, you know, people that in the forthcoming years would would play well in the Premier League for Forest and for, for other clubs. So there was a sense of disbelief. There was a sense that actually right into the end, this could still be averted. As, as insane as that sounds, because in retrospect, it was so inevitable. There was a sense until very late that if anyone's going to pull off this trick, it's Clough. And in a way, what everyone, I don't think people even could really come to terms with the fact Forrest are going to be relegated, but maybe subconsciously people thought he deserves to see this out. Yeah. It was just too big a deal. I have vague memories of watching that play out as a, as a kid. So I was, you know, I was only 13, 14 years old at the time, 13. But Clough, more so than Ferguson at the time, was the sort of big figure managerially in English football. Yeah. And there was a real sense of like, oh, oh, right, this this can go wrong. This can go bad in yeah. the way that sort of like the first time your parents become fallible, you're kind of like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you don't know everything. And actually you are flawed and you aren't always going to win. You aren't always going to be right. So I remember as a neutral football fan thinking, Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. These people can get sacked. There was a real sort of eye opening moment with that. Also, to answer the other party question, if Forrest would have swapped managers and stayed up, I think there would always be a, an unprovable um, counterfactual of, oh, well, maybe Clough would have kept us up as well. And I think yeah. that would nag away at, the, at whatever state Forrest are in now. But yes, I think if you don't get relegated, I never understand these. And we went through it a few years ago when we almost got relegated back to League One. And I was chatting to people in pubs before games ago. Well, I just think the best thing to do is just go down and then rebuild. You're like, going down is appalling because you're not guaranteed to come back up. And going down to yeah. the third tier is even worse. But I think some fans just want the pain to end. They just want an answer. The, the, the uncertainty around a relegation campaign is awful. It drives you insane. So I understand why some people were like, well, just if we're going to go down, go down with Cloughy and then we sort it out. But going down is awful and it cripples clubs, really. And even though we did bounce straight back, it set in chain a series of events, really, that that really have led us to, to where we are now. Now, other people are responsible for the decisions that have been taken in the last 22 years. But yeah, I think if, if Forrest stay up, I mean, what a lot of the players <laughs> seem to say around that period is, because I often say, oh, these great players, they're like, Forrest weren't that fit at that point. So you had good players, but they weren't as fit as some of the other Premier League teams. And when Frank Clark came in, there was a real emphasis on fitness. And in, we, we get promoted back. And then in our first season back, we finished third. And what a lot of them say, as well as being that being down to phenomenal players like Stan Collymore, was that Forrest got really fit and that that was something that Clough wasn't, hadn't been that hot on. And obviously, when you hear stories about his glory days, when they're having whiskey and cigars at half time, <laughs> steak and chips before kickoff, you think, well, actually, maybe that was something that he was slightly behind on was the fitness side. So I think whoever took over would have still faced a bit of an uphill task. Back to the Motson Clough interview, right? So it's, it starts off. It starts off Motson asking about Trevor Francis. And um, straight away, Brian Clough says he needs to curtail some of his off-the-field activities. Now, I think I knew, I know who Trevor Francis is. And I can't imagine for one second he has any off-the-field activities. What Do you have any idea for what he's referring to there? Was, Tre- was Trevor Francis ever wayward at all? I don't get the impression he was. No, he's not like sure the most boring footballer ever lived. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, he had a bit of a celebrity around him, didn't he? So, you know, he might have gone to the old premiere or something like that or <laughs> opened a casino and, and maybe Clough was just... Obviously, the famous clip of him and Trevor Francis is when he gets the PFA award. And this is before Clough signs him. He goes, young man, take your hands out your pockets before he presents him with it. And I think he probably felt a fatherly uh, intention to keep him on the straight and narrow. He probably realised that he was pretty straight. 
um, and, and wanted to keep him that way. The next thing he says about Trevor Francis is that he had won the European Cup the season before, but he, he says he won that he won that medal by fluke. <laughs> like, you're like, what? He said, he said he wouldn't have been in the team if like a bunch of other players were ready. He's like, wow, his ability to put down players so publicly, I just don't think it would happen now. No, I mean, Francis feels very sore about how it... And so Francis gets injured and then Clough couldn't handle having injured players around. And I, Francis basically doesn't go to the final in 1980 and he feels very, very sore about that, that he was just isolated. And obviously a lot of that, if you're thinking about Clough's origin stories, he got crocked early. And I think seeing players in their prime, particularly strikers, get injured, he didn't want to be around it. It was wow. triggering for him. So I think it probably in Francis, he saw a lot of himself and he probably knew how he needed to be managed and, you know, didn't want Francis to get too ahead of himself. Yeah. And then Clough goes on towards the end of the interview to kind of, um, he has a go at match of the day, basically, doesn't he? He says like, uh, that you're kind of, you're lecturing people, you're talking down to people, you treat, you're treating us football managers like, like you're the school teacher. And, he, yeah. and then he says, what you're doing to referees is nothing short of criminal. But my favourite bit in this interview is like Motson points out, well, you used to be a pundit and you used to do this. And Clough like, thinks for a beat and then goes, I'm far more qualified than you and any of your colleagues. <laughs> I don't want to waste another 400 feet of uh, film talking about your programme, but I think I've made enough points to for you to find uh, the happy line where it's entertainment, yeah. a little bit educational, a little bit instructional for wanting you using your words and get off everybody's back. But when you used to work for us, Brian, and you were on television, as you say, in a, in a panellist capacity, I mean, you used to talk about games afterwards and voice an opinion and have your say. As a critic. Mm. Critically um, sometimes. Far yeah. more qualified than you or any of your colleagues. It's phenomenal foresight from Clough. I mean, this is in 78. It's going, there's too much football on television. And you're like, that was in 78. Well, like, imagine what he would have made of Super Sunday, Monday Night Football. Imagine what he made of the coverage during the pandemic or Amazon Prime's coverage on Boxing Day where he could watch about 10 different games. Like, he would have driven him mad. In 78, he thought there was too much football on telly. But in a way, he was kind of, you can see in a way how he's right. There's an overkill element and he saw it all coming. Then the pressure on referees he saw coming as well. And that's... One of the great things about Clough was Forrest never got in trouble with referees and he's so understanding of referees. And I love that thing he said. You think of the world we live in now with VAR. I've never heard any manager ever be so on the side of refs, let alone one of the greatest the game has ever seen. And I just think it's really odd. You never hear that now. There's no one who's gone, actually, I'm going to carry on Clough's legacy in that regard and be a bit fairer to refs. Surely it's a good way of approaching it. Because like a lot of these top flight managers now, they're just criticising refs. You never hear them compliment to, compliment them or acknowledge what a tough job it is. Yeah. That was Clough's, Clough's way. Is yeah, and we we, talk, we sort of touched on this briefly. Uh, we did an episode about Neil Warnock recently, who had a very different approach <laughs> to his relationship with uh, linesmen and referees. Yeah. And I don't think it benefits you to criticise the referee or the linesman. Like, unless you're literally a decision has cost you the European Cup final, in which case you're obviously livid. But on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, surely if you take the Clough approach and say, like, look, they're human beings, they make mistakes, they're making decisions in the cauldron atmosphere of Old Trafford, there are 60,000 people baying for your blood, and they have a split second to make it. If I'm a referee, if I'm a linesman and I hear that, I'm far more likely, consciously or not, to 
give a marginal decision yeah. towards Clough and his team. So in terms of psychology, and I don't think that's why Clough's doing it. I think genuinely the compassion and the empathy of the man is on display as a human. But also, if you're taking those kind of marginal gains angle, go that way. Be the only manager that goes, do you know what? It's really unfortunate, but, you know, it was a high-pressure game. It was a marginal decision. I've watched it back. And didn't go away this time i bet you next time round some decisions go your way that wouldn't have had you not done that i think what you do to referees is nothing short of criminal i do honestly and i think the standard you feel that should be coming from referees at the moment is absolutely incredible because i have seen i've worked in your industry a little bit as a layman um and i've looked at one of your machines 24 times and still couldn't get it right and that's what you do. Yes, but I, I must take you up on one thing there, Brian. It, some, it quite frequently proves the referee right. I don't think it's fair to say that every analysis pillar is a referee by any means at all. I'm not interested whether it proves him right occasionally. The point I'm making is that he makes a decision in five seconds or two seconds or one second or whatever it is. Yeah. In the heat of a moment with 22 players, with 30,000 people shouting and bellowing, all I'm saying is you don't make that point strongly enough. It should be overemphasised how hard it is to referee a match. I think Jimmy has said that more than once this season, in fairness, Good. Brian. Well, let him get off the backs and let him keep saying it. Let's wind on the clock a little bit now. The next clip, I think, to talk about would be... So there's a pitch invasion at Forest, and I guess this is really early 90s. And as the, the crowd are running on the pitch, Brian Clough kind of walks out of his technical area and then just starts clipping players around the ear, like punching a couple... And then what's happened is they've called some sort of press conference together with Brian Clough and the fans he's hit, where they're basically be seen to make up in front of the cameras. And what's incredible about this is the fans who have been punched said, we got a clip round the ear and we deserve it. Yeah. Just Im- imagine this happening now. I mean, he, he, been punched by the manager. They're, <laughs> they're saying fair dues. This is 1989. Forest QPR at the city ground. There's a pitch invasion. I mean... He gets all right in the ear. He either slaps or punches one of them in the throat. I mean, it's not. This isn't just a, a little bit of a clip. You know, it's one of them. He really gets him. And Club hated pitch invasions, and he, you know, arguably absolutely right. But it is a, a measure of his status at Forest and his status in the city that those two then go in and like ask for forgiveness. And there's a great bit in it where um, they kiss him. Give us a kiss. They kiss him to say sorry to him. And one of them goes, ooh, chase me. And then <laughs> sticks his tongue out, which I think was a catchphrase of, um, was it Duncan Norvell at the time? A, a, a comedian, ooh, chase me, chase me. Ooh, chase me. We've got a clip around the end. That's all right then. We deserve it, I think. What do you think, uh, what have your parents said to you about it? I mean, they must have given you... Give us a kiss. <laughs> Give us a kiss. Chase me. <laughs> <laughs> What's amazing is I've met that guy who says that, that fan of the video. It was about three years ago, and we're outside a pub in Nottingham, and I thought I recognised this bloke. He's obviously a lot older now, and he's bald. I was like, I vaguely recognise him. And then a mate of a mate was like, oh, he's the one that Cluffy um, made him. I was like, oh, no way. So I've got this photo of me and him outside the pub recreating the cover pose of her going to kiss me like he'd kissed Clough. It was absolutely (laughs) brilliant. Ooh, chase me. what did you say to him? I was like, Are oh you my the guy God. that got punched? Yeah, he just loved it. I'm mean, just giving him a story for life, and obviously he's got the clip to go with it. 
It's just a, there's a guy in a pub who got hit by Brian Clough and then apologised to him and then kissed him. That's just great. Imagine, how have you recognised that guy? That is such a niche guy from football history. To spot him and then recreate it. It's I know, but I've, I've watched these sorts of clips a lot. You know what? <laughs> At the Euros over the summer, I went to the Scotland game. And as I was coming down Wembley Way, there was a group of fellas I thought, Recognise a load of Scotland fans. I recognise him as an actor, and he was one of the guys that had been drunk in the fountains in Leicester Square the day before. And I'd watched so no. much footage of it, I was starstruck by this guy. I was like, "Oh wow, he was one of the guys who was singing you just a shit, Robbie Burns to the Shakespeare statue." But I was like, "Oh my god, it's him!" I was like, "Oh, you sad kid." <laughs> Forty getting all coy next to the guy who had a flare up his ass. Yeah, like, oh my god! I mean, but you would. I mean, if you met that guy, he's up there with the Lotto Lout, isn't he? I guess the the flare up the bum guy. <laughs> he's going to be. He's bound to do some sort of reality telly in the next five to ten. Oh god! There must be other listeners out there who have met a really niche character from football history. What? Well, who's the most niche football character you've met? Let us know. Hello at quicklykevin.com. Anyone with a flare up their bum, anything like that. <laughs> do, do you think if this weekend Klopp or Guardiola or Conte strode onto the pitch during a pitch invasion and just punched someone in the throat, <laughs> yeah. like what, what do you think would happen? I think, I think you'd get sacked. Yeah. You'd, think you'd, you'd, get sacked. you'd have to sack them, right? There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the police did get involved and he was fined Clough. But uh, yeah, I think now a Premier League, any football manager in the Football League would be fine for that. Did they press charges? I presume the fans didn't press charges. Nah, God, they were just—it's just like that. You have to remember they loved him, so it's like <laughs> it's Clough was dad, and I felt like that growing up in Nottingham. He was like the father of the city. It was such a deep emotional connection with the fans, and it, particularly for a place like Nottingham, which compared to other cities is quite small. It's not Manchester or Liverpool, Leeds or Glasgow. It's a small place, and. I couldn't tell you who the leader of the council was in that time, and I bet most people couldn't. Clough led the city. And obviously, that wasn't just on the pitch. He took such an interest in what happened in the city off it. He revitalised the place. Yeah. He was Nottingham, even though he wasn't from there. So if he was giving you a clip around the ear, he, it really wasn't for you to question why. He was in charge, <laughs> and you should be bloody well sorry. <laughs> Um, my favourite bit about this clip where the, the press conference where the fans uh, are apologising to Clough for, for being punched in the face is the reporter saying um, the reporter says to them what did your parents say about it these lads are like 35 what is She's going, what are your parents said about it? Like, Hang on, what? What do you mean? What did your parents say about it? I'm dead. I'm 50. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a real sense of that clip of um, like two um, teenagers that have been caught shoplifting and have had to take the stuff back to the store (laughs) and go like oh i'm I'm really sorry like the parents are sort of teaching them a lesson about morality and you kind of go oh that's sweet and then you go no hold on a minute they got punched they got punched (laughs) but in a way it makes it really funny because in the cold light of day you go this is terrible this is an abuse of power this is someone physically assaulting another human being even if they have encroached onto plane service there is another party that goes well they shouldn't have been on the pitch in a way, it yeah. didn't hurt them that much, you know. But I think there's something oddly sweet and really funny about it that if they're not yeah. bothered, in, they shouldn't be forced to be bothered in retrospect by today's standards. And I, and I don't think they do. I just think they've talking to that guy. He feels so lucky that it happened. It's just giving him a, a, an amazing status in Nottingham. <laughs> oh yeah, that's 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 inarguably the defining moment of his life. <laughs> 
But you know what as well? Like, it's so clever of Clough to devolve this into a silly little informal, a bit of a laugh. And that's really what he does when he says, kiss a kiss. Because, like, it's a perfect way to make up because it's just it just really just ends this whole fiasco as a bit of silliness, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like, that, the genius of saying, yeah. kiss a kiss. Because they're all laughing. Like, how can you not laugh at that? Yeah, you can't. Like, not, to make up a bit, you can't stay angry at him to, after watching that. Yeah. <laughs> To end this assault case with the perpetrator kissing the victim and then, and then all having a laugh about it. Yeah. I mean, this is a perfect end. You've brought us a couple of other clips, 4D. An advert. Yes. Tell, talk us through the advert. So the, the adverts that he did that he was most famous for were shredded wheat. And they got 100% whole wheat. And the, the acting in some of them isn't that good. Um, and I think the thing was, the catchphrase at the time was, I told you not to eat three. And it'd be him giving his players shredded wheat and then there wouldn't be enough left. Who's had three? And I think in one of them, it's Gary Lineker. He also advertised East Midlands Electricity. And I picked this advert because I think it's the funniest and it's the one in which his acting's the best. So it's not the most iconic. (laughs) But it's him and I think it's Sherry Lungy from the uh, Kenco adverts or the Nescafe adverts. Um, Sort of nominally playing his wife and they have a game of Sabutio. Is she playing his wife? Yeah. What? No, she's not playing his wife. It's, she's like what thirty years younger than him. Wow. I mean, I don't understand. My, my big question of this whole advert is, what is going on here? So what? It's just going around to a female friend's house for. It's going around to a female friend's house up to the loft. He kind of moans about the heating and then plays a game of Sabutio, loses and accuses the the woman of cheating. You're right though, because the start of the advert it is like he's popped round to a friend's house. It doesn't. He's not saying evening, darling. You know, it, it does start kind of like he's popped around to a mate's house. And then I just presume she was playing his wife in the advert. But I just love the way yeah. when she scores that goal, he goes, that was offside. <laughs> it's like a real <laughs> 70s delivery in it. Brought me team down. Are you ready? It's all set up in my spare room. I'll keep my coat on because it'll be freezing up there. Electric storage heaters are economical to run and controllable. Really simple to install, they're an easy way to warm up a cold spot. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.